You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Welcome to our event today on the path to intra-Afghan talks, ending our endless war in Afghanistan. Uh, my name is Andrew Wilder, and I'm the Vice President of the Asia Center at the U.S. Institute of Peace. I know there are many viewers joining us from around the world and some good friends of USIP, including Afghanistan's Ambassador to the U.S., Ambassador Roya Rahmani. We're delighted to have you all join us today for this timely and important discussion. We are particularly honored that Minister Stanikzai and Minister Sarabi have taken time out of their very busy schedules to join us from Kabul. Uh, but I would also like to thank Ambassador Rick Olson, who will be moderating today's discussion, uh, and an old friend of USIP, Alex Thier, uh, for participating in today's event. Uh, we hear Minister Sonegzai may be running a little late as he has a, a meeting with the president, but we'll hope he'll, he'll be able to join us shortly. Um, we also hope you'll take part in this event by asking a question through the YouTube live stream in the comment section. Uh, and you can engage with us and each other on Twitter with today's hashtag, that's hashtag Afghan peace. Uh, once again, hashtag Afghan peace. So please join us uh, through that and ask questions if you'd like. As many of you know, USIP was founded by the US Congress 35 years ago as an independent nonpartisan national institute charged with the vital mission of preventing, mitigating and resolving violent conflict. USIP has been involved in Afghanistan since 2002. We've had a field office in Kabul since 2008. The top priority of USIP's Afghanistan program is supporting a sustainable and inclusive peace process in Afghanistan through both top-down and bottom-up efforts. We convene key stakeholders for public and private discussions and dialogues on how to resolve the near two decades long conflict we also conduct and support extensive research and analysis on relevant subjects, much of which you can access from USIP's website. Through our field office in Kabul, USIP is heavily engaged at the grassroots level as well. Our provincial peace dialogues bring together women, youth, and elders to help ensure their voices are heard in the peace process and that they have a say in the future of their country. We also support a peace education program that equips university students across the country with the skills and resources to build peace in their communities and become the next generation of Afghan peace builders. Like all of us participating virtually in today's discussion, USIP has had to adapt to the rapidly changing and uncertain environment caused by the global coronavirus pandemic. Moving to virtual events like this is one of the adapt adaptations, and I wanted to thank the more than 700 individuals who registered to participate in today's event. I think we're all still grappling with trying to understand the long-term impact and implications of the pandemic here in the US, also in Afghanistan, and also globally. In terms of today's discussion, I think we're all wondering in particular how the already very challenging peace process will be affected by the pandemic. I can only hope that the devastating impact the pandemic is likely to have on the lives and livelihoods of Afghans, the poor and vulnerable in particular, will convince the leaders of the parties to the conflict to stop prioritizing killing and to focus their energies instead on making peace and working together to save the lives of so many of their fellow countrymen and women. 
Unfortunately, today's news from Afghanistan of yet more Taliban attacks against Afghan security forces isn't encouraging in this regard. Nearly two months have gone by since the U.S.-Taliban agreement was signed on February 29th in Doha, which was supposed to then lead to intra-Afghan negotiations on March 10th. Unfortunately, ongoing political disagreements, the debate over prisoner exchanges, and continued high rates of violence have caused delays and roadblocks to getting to intra-Afghan negotiations, which are the critical next phase in the peace process. However, one significant area of progress was the announcement on March 26th of an inclusive Islamic Republic of Afghanistan negotiating team. We are honored to have two distinguished members of the negotiating team with us today, including its head, to discuss how they are dealing with the recent developments and challenges of getting to negotiations, their preparations for the talks, and how the country can move closer to a political settlement to end over four decades of continuous violence. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce the moderator of the discussion, Ambassador Richard Olson. Over the past year, Ambassador Olson has been a senior advisor to our team at USIP. He was previously the US Special Representative for Afghanistan and Pakistan, and prior to that, the US Ambassador to Pakistan. Through these posts and many others throughout his distinguished service career, he had become very familiar with Afghanistan, its neighbors, and the complexities of the Afghanistan peace process. And with that, I'd like to turn to Ambassador Olson to moderate today's panel discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for that uh, very kind introduction, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, what I'd like to do is uh, briefly sketch out where we are uh, in terms of the Afghan uh, negotiations, um, and then we will move quickly on to the, um, uh, the panelists. So as Andrew mentioned, uh, on the 29th of February, the United States and Taliban concluded uh, a deal uh, after nearly 18 months of negotiations uh, led on the US side by Ambassador Zalmay Halilzad. The key elements included a, a phased US withdrawal, Taliban assurances on, with regard to terrorism on Afghan territory, uh, and most importantly, a call for beginning of intra-Afghan negotiations, which were to have begun according to the agreement on the 10th of March. And finally, the agreement called for prisoner releases as a confidence building measure before negotiations were to begin. Several of the prisoner releases have happened, including I understand today, um, although both sides have expressed some degree of disappointment with the quantity uh, of prisoners released and perhaps we could say the quality in terms of the individuals. Uh, it may be this is a negotiating tactic. We'll have to hear from our, our panelists about that. Uh, the inter-Afghan negotiations are central uh, to bringing about an end to what has been, as Andrew mentioned, a four decade long war in Afghanistan. We think of, in the United States, we think of it as an endless war after 20 years. Uh, for Afghans, the war has gone on twice as long. Uh, the issues to be addressed in this peace process uh, include, although they're not limited to, a ceasefire, power sharing arrangements, whether Afghanistan needs to amend its constitution, the important issue of rights of women and minorities, and standing above all others, whether Afghanistan continues to be an Islamic Republic, as it has been since 2001, or 
as the Taliban re demands, it reverts to being an Islamic emirate. Against this backdrop, there are two sets of issues that even further complicate what is already a difficult perspective set of negotiations. First is the ongoing political dispute between Ashraf Ghani and Dr. Abdullah over who won last summer's presidential election. And as you will know that note, there were competing presidential election, uh, presidential inaugurations recently. Uh, this despite an unsuccessful late March intervention by US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, which resulted in a punitive cut of a billion US dollars in security assistance to Afghanistan, which is about a fifth of the total amount. Uh, notwithstanding this dispute, uh, the government of Afghanistan recently has announced the creation of a joint negotiating team supported by both sides, both parties, to the dispute. Uh, the second complicating factor, as Andrew mentioned, also is the onset of the COVID pandemic, to which Afghanistan is particularly vulnerable. Uh, Afghanistan is a neighbor of Iran, one of the early hotspots and from which the virus appears to have arrived. And it has a very well weak health system as one would expect one of the poorest countries in the world. This makes the start of negotiations considerably more difficult as travel uh, and face-to-face -face meetings are virtually impossible. Although I would note it hasn't stopped our peripatetic special envoy, Zalmay Halizad, from uh, traveling to Kabul to facilitate the uh, prisoner exchanges. There have reportedly been some negotiations uh, over the prisoner issue by Skype, um, and if one is optimistic, one may hope that the common danger of a pandemic may bring the sides closer together. It certainly did help to facilitate uh, the prisoner release, which was uh, billed in part as a humanitarian gesture. Uh, finally, uh, and sadly, uh, the fighting goes on. Uh, and I think all of us are uh, looking to see whether the Taliban will be begin its traditional um, a spring offensive, um, but in any case, I think this will add to the urgency of, uh, of the situation in Afghanistan. So to cut through this complex knot of issues, we have a superb panel, uh, and I'd like to do some brief introductions for who we're gonna be hearing from. Uh, well, first, Minister Masum Stanigzai, who leads the Republic's uh, negotiating team. Uh, he has a long and distinguished career in the Afghan government. He was the chief of the national directorate of security, and was the security advisor to President Karzai, as well as having held previous minister, ministerial positions. I would note that on a personal level, he is um, a survivor of the Taliban suicide bombing. Uh, and he has been a peace warrior for a long time before it was currently fashionable in, uh, in this town. Uh, Dr. Uh, Habiba Sarabi is uh, a, a member of the uh, Republic's negotiating team, deputy chair of the High Peace Council, and an advisor to chief executive uh, officer uh, of Afghanistan on women and youth affairs. She also served as the governor of Bamiyan province uh, and has served as minister of women Af women's affairs, as well as minister of culture and education. She is one of the foremost proponents of women's and minority rights uh, stemming from her own personal experience uh, under the Taliban regime. 
Finally, Alex Deere has been working on Afghanistan since 1993 in many capacities. Uh, he uh, is currently a senior advisor for, to the uh, Center for Strategic and International Studies and founder and CEO of Triple Helix, Helix LLC, uh, and had uh, a career that included uh, important positions at US Agency for International uh, Development. Uh, and he has been a long-standing uh, friend of USIP, formerly worked at the US Institute of Peace, uh, and more important, someone who has been intimately involved on a personal level with Afghanistan over nearly three decades. Uh, so I think it looks to me on the screen like uh, uh, Minister Stanikzai uh, has not been able to join us just yet. So I may ask um, Minister Sarabi to lead off the discussion, if that would be okay with you, Minister. I think we'll turn to you first, and then when Minister Stanikzai comes, we'll ask him to make his opening remarks. Okay, that's good. Uh, thank you very much, uh, 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 Ambassador Olson. Uh, it's great to see you again. And good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, USIP, to arranging such an event. Uh, and uh, let me to thanks uh, USIP for all the work and offer that uh, they are giving for peace and especially uh, women inclusion for peace. It's very important. They have been worked uh, for train a group of women for to make it make them ready for negotiation. So two of us uh, from that team are a member of this negotiation team. Uh, so uh, let me to start from my own experience, Ambassador Olson. Uh, I'm the person that uh, I have been the witness of four decades of, decade of war and conflict in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, uh, within this four uh, decades, I was the witness of so many events and, and uh, the, the history will judge on that. So during the communist regime, uh, many people killed. So of course, from one side, they called communist, the other side, jihadi group. Of course, it was the conflict going on. And after that, during the jihadi period, the same, same thing happened in Afghanistan and thousands of people killed, uh, uh, even the jihadi group amongst the, themselves. And the, the third era is the Taliban, of course, uh, it was, uh, every men and women, especially women in Afghanistan, can remember what was going to happen to that time. We were not allowed to go out, and, and even for uh, we were uh, deprived of our basic rights. And of course, the new time or the new era that uh, Taliban, uh, there is the uh, Republic or the military of Republic, and the other side, Taliban. For each of these era, uh, th these are the people of Afghanistan that they are. They have been killed. So the bloodshed is is going on. It's continuously going on. These are uh, these are Afghan. 
So, of course, this is the best time and this is the moment that you want to do peace. But what sort of peace? What will be the price of peace? So for any type of price, uh, if I can tell you, for, for example, share you with you within this 19 years that, of course, we have a lot of achievement. These achievements that we have, especially on if we can talk about women issue, of course, it's generally, but if we can talk about women issue, we have presence in every field from political up to economic, up to social and, and cultural part of the country. But this is not only our achievement, I mean the Afghan achievement. This is the achievement for both sides from international community and also from the Afghan side. So it, it means that this is not a from one side achievement. So the international community invested in Afghanistan for, for democracy, for good governance, for the women's rights, for the freedom of expression in these, uh, these were the valuable um, topic that we have been struggled together. So when I'm talking about peace and the women in Afghanistan and people of Afghanistan are talking about peace, it doesn't mean that for any price we want peace. This price shouldn't demolish all our uh, joint achievement. So, or it doesn't mean that we can go back to another war. So that's why it should be some, some sort of compromise and, and, uh, uh, and, and compromising from both sides, from Taliban side, from Afghan side, because these are Afghan people that they are, they, they are, uh, they, uh, they are killing or they, they, uh, the bloodshed is from Afghan people. Uh, this is the best time that we have to come for some sort of uh, uh, same object and uh, the same uh, pattern to go for peace. So uh, fortunately, and we were luckily the negotiation team set up, but uh, we wish that when the US uh, started the negotiation with Taliban, if the, this negotiation could, uh, negotiation team could be set up on that or uh, set up on that time and we could go side by side, it could be much better than today. But anyway, it's also a good time. The, the negotiation team is getting prepared to, for, uh, 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 for their, uh, under the leadership of Minister Stonekzai, do the, uh, um, uh, aspect of our life, uh, but even uh, though uh, we we are doing our um, meeting even face to face, not only virtually but face to face, we are uh, held and conducting our meeting weekly meeting and getting prepared to go for negotiation hope that uh, uh, both team uh, could come for some sort of co compromise to sit together for, uh, um, for the same uh, object uh, to go for peace. Thank you.
Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, I think that um, Minister Stanigzai is arriving momentarily, but unless uh, it looks to my screen like he is not here, so I think I'm going to uh, ask uh, Mr. Thier to make remarks and uh, we'll bring in uh, Minister Stanigzai at the, uh, as soon at the end. Alex, over to you, please. Great, thanks. Um, thanks so much to uh, you, uh, Ambassador Olson, and all of the participants. It's a real honor and pleasure to be talking uh, with all of you today. Um, I want to make a couple of points and then come to the negotiations. Uh, the first one, um, which I think has been uh, raised, but I think it's really critically important uh, for people to remember, is that this war has been going on for an enormously long time. Uh, it has been going on for 40 years, as the minister said, and this creates an incredible burden on the shoulder of all parties coming to the table. Uh, they all feel that they have legitimate grievances, um, and so they face an incredible dilemma, which is that they can't keep fighting, uh, but they also can't give up on what they have been fighting for. Uh, it's also important to remember that inertia is an incredibly difficult force to overcome. The path dependency of 40 years of conflict means that it's hard to get people out of that cycle. Uh, the second point that I wanted to make, which uh, Ambassador Olson started with, but I think it's incredibly important, is the amount of courage it takes uh, for those who are with us today to do what they are doing. Uh, as was mentioned, Minister Stanek Zai has had multiple assassination attempts against him, um, and he bears the very real scars of that. He's being asked not only to sit across from the table from those responsible, uh, but also to trust them and to offer them a share of power. Uh, Minister Sarabi was the first female governor in Afghan history, not an easy job to undertake in the best of times, and she comes from the Shia Hazara minority who have faced incredible discrimination in Afghan history, particularly at the hands of the Taliban. So there is an, a huge amount of courage uh, that's required to take these steps. I also think it's really important for us to avoid any false equivalency here in the discussion. Uh, lots can rightly be said to criticize the Afghan government and their squabbling political leaders. Uh, but the Taliban are not a popular liberation army. They are not a force that is popular with the vast majority of Afghans, and they have caused an enormous amount of killing and destruction of innocents. And even though this peace process needs to go forward, it needs to go forward with an understanding, I think, of all of those three things. So what is it that's required to actually help people break out of what seems to be an intractable conflict? I think there's a couple of things, but the most important, obviously, is simply that both sides need to want peace more than they want the alternative. And so in coming to the table, um, they have to be clear about what their interests are, what their prospects are in a peace process, and whether they are being realistic uh, in those assumptions. Afghanistan has achieved probably what many people call a, a hurting stalemate Neither party is able to succeed militarily, um, and, and keeping going like this is simply too hard for all sides. Uh, but we're also facing rapidly shifting circumstances in Afghanistan. 
uh, both uh, because of the U.S. withdrawal of troops is ongoing, and and the agreement signed between the U.S. and the Taliban means that uh, the U.S. is is slowly withdrawing its forces, even if if that is supposed to be conditional on peace. Pakistan, which has supported the Taliban through much of this conflict, they may want to get out of the endless loop of creating their own problems with the critical public health and economic crises that they face. And of course, other external forces that are changing the situation on the ground, uh, like the pandemic. So hopefully all of those forces together will push the parties towards peace. Uh, but let me briefly say what I think they're going to, some of the dilemmas they're going to face when they get to the, the table. Um, the first one is the big question about starting big versus starting small. And what I mean by that is that they, that they face some truly confounding questions about the future, the nature of the state, the role of Islam, women's rights. Uh, and there's something to be said for making sure that they tackle some of these big issues up front uh, to make sure that, that they are really going to create a peace that is sustainable. But at the same time, if you, if you start with the hardest issues, then you may not get very far. And so figuring out a balance between those things, finding some things to agree on up front, but also making sure that the big issues are in the picture is important. Um, the second one is about speed. Uh, there's certainly a desire to get an agreement, to get something done, to move to a ceasefire, to demonstrate that progress is being made. But the quicker that they make those steps, uh, the less likely it is that they will really deal with some of the biggest challenges and may face issues in the future that, that cause the process to unravel. Um, the third one is about this idea of specificity versus ambiguity. Um, sometimes it's really important for parties in the peace process to be very specific about what they want, to outline the principles, and to make sure that those are baked into an initial agreement. But at the same time, it can be very important for some degree of ambiguity to exist so that parties can manage through the things that they can't quite agree on until they get to a better place, until they demonstrate that they can build trust, that the ceasefire might work. Um, and this is also going to be a, a balancing issue. And the final one, which I'll mention because it's so important, is the, is the question of having a very restricted and elite process versus something that creates sort of broad participation and, and popular support. And the reason that that's so important is that it can be very hard to make the sorts of compromises that are going to be demanded of the people sitting around the table. But at the same time, if there isn't buy-in from the public about what they are agreeing to, about what they are going to be compromising on, then it might be very difficult for them to make those agreements stick. And that's true for both sides. So the Taliban have their foot soldiers in the field who might not be willing to see them compromise on the things that they've been fighting for. And as the minister has already outlined, there are millions of Afghans who have gained rights, gained education, and all of these things that are so fundamental, and they're not going to see those sacrificed easily. So the last thing I'll say um, is that I think that there are really two big issues that are going to confront the parties when they sit down at the table, and those are the question of a ceasefire and an interim government. Um, there has to be a ceasefire and a reduction of violence if progress is going to be made, but that's a very, very big compromise, particularly for the Taliban to be making. 
And at the same time, this government, even though it's unresolved who the president is at the moment, just went through an election process and asking them to contemplate an interim government is going to be giving up a lot of power. Um, the longer term issues, and this is where I'll stop, that are very important, Ambassador Olson already raised them. The first one is this big question of, is Afghanistan going to be a democracy, a republic that guarantees rights, or is it going to be some form of emirate that guarantees power to a small group, and particularly those like the Taliban? I would say, however, I'm sure we'll get into this, I don't actually think this is really a binary argument. There are a lot of options in between. The second one will be who has the power to interpret what is in the agreement? Who has the power to interpret the Constitution? Who has the, the power to interpret what Islam means? That is going to be, in many ways, probably the biggest tug of war, not only of the peace process, but of the near term of, of Afghanistan's future. And the last question is the sustainability. Many, many peace agreements fail. And even if the parties are able to come to some sort of understanding on these issues, they're going to have to do it in a way that can be sustained, that can be carried, and that all parties really believe they understand the answer to the question, what is the price of peace, and that they have determined that they're willing to pay it. Thanks. Thank you very much, Alex. Um, I believe uh, Minister Stanigzai has joined us. Uh, so Minister, we've already done uh, the introductions and um, we'd uh, welcome your uh, remarks, please. I'm first extremely sorry for being late and, uh, and uh, good evening to colleagues, Ambassador Olson, Alex, uh, and everybody else who is uh, in the in the in the network, and good evening to my colleagues in Afghanistan. Uh, I'm very pleased to see colleagues after a long time, Ambassador Olson. After a very long time, I'm seeing you. I hope that all of you are safe from this corona pandemic. Uh, but we 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 every every year we have the same situation in Afghanistan anyway. Thank you for this opportunity. I think this is um, a, a very good point that I heard, Alex, uh, the questions, they are difficult questions. Uh, but let me to start uh, with a few remarks and then we, we can go to the deep discussion on the, on the questions and uh, others uh, if uh, there is something that can be more focused. In relation to the, the peace process, after uh, so many years, I think Afghanistan has suffered 40 years, and in this 40 years, we have seen nearly five major regime change, not the government changes. And those regime changes, every time they have left a legacy in Afghanistan, it is fresh in the memory of the people in Afghanistan. And, uh, and every time it created a divide among the people and the grievances. And I think when we, we get back uh, on the negotiating table, People are going to the negotiating table, remembering all those years and all those crises that the Afghan people has gone through, and there is a fear. People want a freedom from the fear, how we can achieve that freedom. And I think that is a very fundamental question. For the people of Afghanistan, the most important issue that they want and expect is the stability of the country, the stability of the political system, and the constitutional order. 
because we have seen in the absence of the constitutional order, in the absence of the legitimacy, in the lack of the stability, I think the people of Afghanistan every time suffer quite significantly and the people don't want to return back to that kind of a situation. Let me to give you a few figures. In the, in the past 19 years, if we calculate, we have 8,640 days and we have 750,000 casualties, both from Taliban, Afghan government, the dead and the, 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 the injured the soldiers and everybody else. If we calculate it by day, every day in 19 years, we have 108 to 109 people killed or injured every day in Afghanistan. It means that we every day we had something that the whole world is experiencing today, that the people are dying the people are injuring, the people are losing their loved ones. And I think with all the other consequences, this is why we have to come to the negotiation table with a goodwill, with a political will, that we have to achieve a common goal, which is very simple. That simple goal is that we end the war, we achieve a sustainable peace and reach to stability. All other things can be under that very common goal where, where the Afghan people can be united for that. I think the success of, um, for the negotiation, I think there are many, many experience. There are many lessons that were learned uh, over many years in the different conflicts and, uh, and nearly 50 of those peace negotiation failed. Some were successful, some were half successful. And all those lessons give us an opportunity to learn from the mistake and we should not repeat the mistake that they haven't already experienced that. And I think those, those lessons are extremely important for, uh, for our negotiating team, for the Afghans, for the Taliban. If there is really a good will and if we want to put the people of Afghanistan in their wishes and their desire in front and on the top of the list of the priority, I think we, we can make the progress. We can find a common, common ground. We can find the solution. We know that there are differences. We know that there are up and downs. We know that there are, um, uh, is a very hard road ahead of us. And we know that there are so many different players in, this, in, in the conflict in Afghanistan. And each player may want to see the end of this these conflict in their own way. So I think how those differences can converge for a common interest, whether it is at the regional level, whether it is in the, at the international level, and also at the national level. So all these, these efforts will require a kind of a concert, concerted efforts in order to find the way that how we can boost the cooperation. First, the consensus. This is why we have spent a lot of time to build the consensus on the negotiating team, on, on creating a platform where the different political forces can have an opportunity to engage in a constructive way in the peace process. If they are not engaged, if they don't feel they are not part of that process, I think uh, uh, it will be very difficult. And even if we reach to some kind of agreement, then we will not be able to successfully implement that. At the same time, our international partners will also have their, their role that how we should move forward. For instance, 
uh, ambassador, you remember when you were ambassador in the in Pakistan, we were uh, always discussing that we should start the negotiation as a three party or three side of the conflict. The Afghan government or the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, the Taliban, and also the United States, because that will provide an opportunity to have a clear kind of a, a ground for the implementation. But anyway, now we are in a different phase. The, the US and uh, the Taliban has reached an agreement. Afghanistan and the whole world is facing with a different kind of a problem. Today, we are facing with a corona, we are facing with a war, we are facing with the poverty. And at the same time, Ramadan is coming. This is an opportunity for all of us and also for Taliban that we, we, we look what, how the Afghan people, what the Afghan people want. The first thing they want is that they, they want to be sure that during this period when the negotiations start, when there is an agreement between the US and the Taliban, when there is some level of reduction of violence, whether we can go ahead with further reduction of violence. I'm not saying that we immediately jump to something, but we have to start with something that, that is easier. We will move from easy issues to the difficult issues. We have to learn from all those different uh, experience of uh, global experience uh, uh, that uh, many, many experts has also shown. And the most important issue is that we have to agree on the agenda framework. What are the agenda framework? What is the timeline? Who should be participating in, in, in facilitating? And I think that those are some of the common ground that will help us in order to move forward. And I think that we should also find when there are difficult issues that Alex mentioned, I think we can, we can work the different methods and mechanism. How can we divide into groups? Can we have the third party views? Can we have the ulamas of the both sides that they can engage and they can find a, a solution? Can we go backward with the time where, uh, where the Afghan people uh, during the, the King time, during the Dawood Khan time, we had the, the constitution, the, the, the Taliban themselves reviewed those constitutions and they had adopted their own constitution, whether they were, it was not endorsed. Finally, it was not approved, but there are clauses, there are, uh, there are um, some chapters, which is kind of the same chapters and uh, there are a lot of differences. But uh, I think uh, we can find, start from the common ground, build on that as a building blocks. And uh, I hope that uh, the Taliban also come with, with a realistic approach. And the realism is, is Afghanistan is changing, the world is changing. With this changing world, we cannot adopt the same approach they adopted when they were in power during the Emirate time. So I will stop here and uh, maybe we can go to the discussion. Thank you very much, uh, Minister, for a very comprehensive overview. Um, I think, uh, well, first of all, for the audience, um, we urge you to start sending in your questions. Um, you can use the comments feature. Uh, please, um, please make them uh, brief and, uh, and uh, relevant. Uh, but I'm gonna start with a few questions to begin with to get the discussion going. Um, if we assume that intra-Afghan negotiations uh, begin uh, soon, 
everyone has alluded to the fact that there are a large number of issues to deal with. Um, and it seems to me uh, that the overarching issue, one of the overarching issues is certainly this question of a republic uh, versus uh, an emirate. And uh, I wonder uh, how, Alex, you referred to the possibility of there being potentially some middle room there. Um, and obviously, uh, Minister Sarabi, I think this has big implications for women's rights, but I'd like to start, I'd like to ask all the panelists what they think about that particular question, starting with Minister Stanikzai. Thank you very much. As uh, Minister Sarabi has also mentioned that uh, the issue of the Republic, one is the issue of the symbolism, and the other is the issue of content in the, 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 the the, the, the different values that is uh, in, in, enshrined behind this republic. Uh, I think people are interested, and that is, uh, that is the wishes of the Afghan people. When there was an agreement through Eloya Jirga, there was, uh, there was a huge debate among the uh, professional uh, uh, professional of the law, there were ulamas, they have spent months in order to develop the constitution, the rights, the Islamic values, the Afghan culture into this, this constitution, and to build a, a, a kind of a political system that is today recognized by the whole world. It is recognized by the Islamic world, it is recognized by the East, by the West, by, by the neighboring country, by everybody. We have six Islamic neighboring countries. They are all Islamic countries. And two of them are Islamic Republic. Whether the change of the name is bringing any benefit or it is risking, again, Afghanistan in moving it to a, in isolation. So what, whatever we are doing, we have to do something that is benefiting the people, that is benefiting the country, that is bring, bringing more benefit to, to our nation. We should not go to the symbolism that which name we should choose. And at the same time, because of the Republic, it is, has the same level of support inside Afghanistan, outside Afghanistan, in the region, beyond the region, and the Afghan people is united in some of the values that is enshrined behind the Republic. And that is their, their rights, the stability of the political system, the, the way that a leader can be chosen, the freedom that people will have, their rights for uh, how they should live and to work with each other. And I think the most important issue is that we should not bring some artificial dictatorship back to Afghanistan that will divide the people and not ending the violence. But we have to bring a situation where the people can exercise their rights. There is, uh, there is a, a justice and there is uh, opportunity for equal, uh, equal access to the development. And I think that, is, that, that, that the opportunity is provided both to the women and men of Afghanistan, to the youth. And I think that is how one thing I am seeing in the negotiating team, they are coming from the different backgrounds. They are coming from the different political backgrounds. But one thing, when they are talking about the Republic, when they are talking about the rights, when are they talking about the, the, the rights they are enjoying today, but not they were enjoying before, that unite them together. 
Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Perhaps we could turn to uh, Minister Sarabi and you could uh, in particular address some of the issues uh, related to uh, the concerns of women uh, as regard their rights and this question of the Emirate versus the Republic. Thank you very much, Ambassador uh, Olson. Uh, so when we are talking about the Emirates and the Republic, so first of all, I want to remind the people that if the Emirates was an, an uh, ideal regime, why the Taliban couldn't get the uh, uh, acknowledgement from, from different other country, from the international community? So it was on that time, it was uh, at the history. So we are not going backward. We have to go uh, uh, forward. This is the way that we have learned. So as a woman, I want to highlight both sides, both uh, uh, the Republic and the Emirates, the advantage and disadvantage of both regime. On the um, Republic, I'm a citizen, but on the Emirates, I'm not a citizen. I have to follow the things that the Amir is, is, uh, is called upon to us. So, and, and uh, at the uh, Republic, I have the rights to, uh, 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 to nominate myself as a representative or, or as a leader. But on the Emirate, I, I, I cannot do that. I can vote for my uh, leader or uh, for my representative. But in Emirates, we have to be tobe. Tobe, which means that we have to be obey all the order that uh, uh, Amir or uh, uh, someone could give us. In the Republic, I have the freedom of expression, but in the Emirates, I, I do not have that uh, advantage to, to express my idea. So the human rights, the women's rights, the rights of children, these are the major issue or valuable, these are the valuable issue that at the moment, the international community has a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, treaties on that. But uh, if we are a part of uh, international community, how we can deny all these treaties uh, uh, that uh, came out by uh, United Nations. So the people of Afghanistan now recognize what's Emirate and what's, uh, uh, what's uh, Republic. Uh, so, especially for women, we cannot uh, accept, or we cannot, we, we are not on the, on that on that stage to go backward. Even I have been in several provinces for this uh, women consensus that we had a program and uh, and and went to different uh, um, provinces. Even with the uh, NATO civilian, uh, with uh, uh, Ms. Holy, I have been to several to Gardez, to Herat, and, and uh, so many other provinces. So I have, uh, uh, I, I was the witness of these uh, young girls. They were so talented, they were so committed to, to go uh, uh, forward, to go ahead. They were, uh, they were really uh, uh, very uh, uh, committed for, uh, for e each step that they are taking for the, for the betterment of their life, for the betterment of the life of of, uh, uh, of the next generation. So that's why this is a kind of obligation from the new generation that we cannot go backward anymore. 
Thank you, Minister. And uh, I'll turn to Alex. Um, maybe you can help us to understand uh, where this elusive middle ground might be between the two positions. Uh, well, I, I love what Minister Sarabi just said, uh, because I think that what is really important, and, and, and Minister Sanix, I said this at the top, is the parties have to get out of just the symbolism of this conversation, not to get trapped uh, in 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 labels or names, and what they really need to do is talk about what it is that they want. What are the interests? What does it really represent to have an emirate or a republic or or, or something that that combines them? And so I I would make two quick points. I think first, the 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 truth is that all constitutions have different facets. Um, that allow for different parties to be represented, right? So here in the United States, we have Supreme Court judges who are appointed to a life tenure. They are not elected. Um, we have an electoral college. In Afghanistan, as in every country, there are some positions that are appointed that have power. There are some that are elected. There are some that are appointed by those who are elected. And what's going to be important is for Afghans to figure out how to construct a government that brings everybody in so that they feel that they are represented in the government. They feel that they have some share of power and authority, but also that there is no one party in this negotiation that comes out believing that it will have absolute control or absolute power. And I think what the, the other two speakers are pointing to is a fear that what the Republic really represents is that the legitimacy of government is based on the will of the people and that ultimately the Afghan people have the say that the Afghan people can hold their leaders accountable. And that principle needs to exist because all governments are likely to do things wrong. All governments are likely to go in a bad direction. And that principle that, that there is accountability is critical. And I think that's what so many fear about the idea of an emirate, that you will have some person appointed who has no accountability, who has all the power, all of the authority, and has the ability to take rights away from people. And even if they don't take it away in a peace agreement, they might do it in a year or two or three. And I think that's what's so important to avoid. So get out of the labels, uh, but get into what the real interests are and how you construct something that brings everybody in and ties them into a system instead of excluding people and uh, making it so that only one group will have power and others won't, won't trust. Thank you, thank you, Alex. Uh, I think I'm gonna ask just one more question from the chair and uh, then we'll open it up for Q's and A's. Please, um, uh, for the audience, keep the questions flowing in. Um, one of the key strengths has been, as has been alluded to in this discussion of the government side is the inclusiveness of the negotiating team, bringing together political, um, uh, different, different, group individuals representing different political, ethnic, and gender streams. Um, this could potentially be a weakness as well as, um, as a strength uh, if, if there are divisions within the team. And then the team, as I understand it, is eventually supposed to report to a Supreme Council for Peace, um, which um, 
President Ghani has offered uh, to Dr. Abdullah. So I wonder if I, and this is perhaps for the, the, the two team members, uh, Minister Sanigzai and Minister Sarabi, how do you envision this negotiating team uh, working? And do you think it will be a coherent and capable team that will be able to address the challenges of representing uh, the Republic? So, Rabisab, you want to speak first, or I should speak? Ahead, and after that, I will comment on some part. Uh, first, uh, I think uh, the, the, the team for negotiating team, it is an inclusive team. It is uh, re representing or reflecting the reality of, of uh, Afghanistan. It is also a combination of the different generations of the country, and they are, most of them were the witness of the past 40 years, what happened. And at the same time, there are the young one that they have seen the new, the new period, the new era that they have seen the development, the education, and the changes that they were the witness. I think one of the most important issues that unite them when there is a discussion about the Republic or it is a discussion about the peace, they want a a just peace, a peace for everybody, a peace that will contribute to the stability of the country. And I think uh, this, this is a it's a, a large team, but the first thing was that they were given the authority they, to decide that how to organize themselves. So I think that was the, the first very important issue. So the first discussion that we, we had among ourselves was that how to have our internal kind of a ruling procedure. It was not imposed on us by somebody else. We discussed among ourselves, we agreed among ourselves, and we decided that this is the rule of procedure and we have we develop our common vision for that. And at the same time, it was in agreement that we have to consult with the wider Afghan communities and with the different groups and to have their views, to have the consultation with them and to reflect their consultation and their willingness and their inspiration. And that should be part of our preparedness for entering into a meaningful negotiation and to reflect the wish of the people. So I think that was a very good exercise. We organized ourselves in four, four working committee to focus on different issues and then to convert them into a common something that could be discussed with the Taliban as, as, a, as, as an agenda points or a, a, a kind of a framework for the, for, the, for the discussion. So I think the most important issue regarding the, the council, I think that is also very much important that we have to have a relative consensus when we are talking about the most, most crucial issue for the future of the country. Everybody is afraid of have the fear of the future because as I mentioned, we have five regime changes over the past 40, 42 years. And every time there was consequences and we are now facing with the legacy of all those, those, those changes in regime changes. So for that reason, everybody is very careful that we do not make a mistake and we don't want to go backward. We want to go forward and that forward looking will help us to sit with our with um, uh, with Taliban with in in a in a in a way that as Afghans how we have to address the problem that we are facing all together, and we are all facing the same kind of a suffering. There is 
there is that clear guidance that is built as a, as a discipline within the team. And at the same time, uh, uh, I think this high, uh, high uh, uh, council for peace in, decon uh, in deconciliation that is in the process of establishment. And we do hope that uh, uh, Dr. Abdullah will lead this, uh, this, uh, this council. And, I, and, and uh, there is very fruitful discussion with him and with all the other leaders. One thing I have recognized myself, I have been in discussion with every one of them. There is a common position in regarding to the peace. And I think that is very encouraging. Everyone is looking to the peace in this, with the same vision, with the same way that they, 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 they should see. The only thing they don't want to see is that there is a deal that nobody is knowing about that and they, 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 they suffer after something that is filled or the renewal of another cycle of conflict or another cycle of violence. So I think that is that is a very common understanding that how we should go to the peace. And at the same time, people don't want to lose the achievement that has been achieved by the, by, by, by the people. We don't want to lose the institutions, particularly the security and institutions. That is, that is very firmly by every leader I have talked with them, they were stressing on that, that these institutions should be further improved, they should be, uh, 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 reform should be should take place. That is fine, but at the same time, we have to preserve them. We have to strengthen them. And the most important issue for the Afghan people is our freedom, as not only political freedom, but our freedom, uh, our economic freedom. How we can stand on our own feet. How we have, can establish a kind of a good relationship with all the our neighboring countries. So I think those common issues will provide an opportunity for us to work in a, in a very clear way because the council will provide the, the, the macro level guiding principles. The negotiating will be negotiating on behalf of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, not representing this one or that one, but as a whole representing the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. And they will do the negotiating and will be reporting back to the, to the council. And the council is composed of the government leadership and the political leadership. So, I mean, there is no division in, in that side. So I think we have established a kind of a mechanism. And actually, the, the, the president has given a full authority to the negotiating team, to the, uh, to the council, that they have to do the work, and eventually, when there is there is a we reach to a, any kind of a peace agreement, that has to be ratified by the parliament or by the by the lawyer jirga. So the people of Afghanistan, everybody is buying in into a kind of agreement that is implementable. Everybody is agreeing with that, and we can have cons more uh, consensus on this. If I may to to comment Please. on that, okay. Generally, I'm I'm agree with Minister Stanekzai, uh, but on particular issue with the inclusion of women, I do have some concern. Sorry, uh, uh, Minister Stanekzai. Uh, 
the women group in different area from the, especially from civil society and uh, some other uh, even women that they were a part of the government we were lobbied for 30% of women to be a part the part of of uh, a negotiation team but uh, when it comes, it was 25%. We were happy and said that it's okay. But now we are 20%. So the, what's the problem? The pro problem is not uh, Mr. Stanekzai uh, or, or the government. The problem is the, the political party and the political figure. Unfortunately, all the political party and the political figure, when they uh, nominate someone for the for the negotiation team, they are nominating uh, the uh, the main member, not women. Uh, I remember when Alice Wells had a meeting with uh, Chief Executive uh, Dr. Abdullah uh, two years ago when the, this uh, uh, leadership council was uh, going to set up. Oh, so I was sharing the same concern and the same comment that the, all the political figure, the leader of uh, jihadi group and the leader, leader of the tribe and uh, the political figure, they are men. So even on that time on the, uh, the leadership council, there was not any single women. So I raised my voice through the media and after that three women came. The same with the uh, leadership council and the negotiation team. Still, uh, um, men are putting or nominating uh, their uh, uh, male member colleague, uh, and not the, the female. So this is uh, one of the biggest concern. But anyway, we we four women that we are on the uh, negotiation uh, negotiation team. We uh, we are uh, focusing, and we are not only focusing about the women issue because we we have to think a little bit broadly, and uh, broadly, and uh, to because every uh, issue on the uh, during negotiation will affect our life. For example, republic. That when I'm I'm defending republic because I have the freedom as a human being, as a, as a citizen, not as a, as a, the one that can be like a second hand of of, uh, of citizen. Uh, that's why uh, we have a little bit concern, but uh, generally we are happy that, uh, of course, uh, this this team is uh, representing uh, every. Um, uh, uh, representative of, of every uh, uh, political party, different ethnic group, and uh, uh, also the generation. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. I think we'll now move to uh, questions from the audience. Uh, we have uh, we have a series of them. Um, the first one is actually from a representative of the media um, who wants to know about the role of India. We haven't really talked about the regional dimension here, but of course, uh, the regional, the, the countries of the region play an important role in whether Afghanistan will be at peace or not in the in the future. And uh, the, within the question, there's a presumption that somehow India has been sidelined uh, in the current process. I suppose because India has generally not been in favor of uh, negotiations with the uh, with the Taliban. So I wonder. Um, uh, how uh, the panelists would see a potential potential role for India and 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 indeed uh, for the region as a whole to um, have a have a constructive role in the Afghan peace process. Uh, 
I think uh, uh, the, the role of the region is uh, uh, critically important for the stability and peace in Afghanistan. And I think everybody should be involved. And India is uh, one of the countries that they have contributed uh, a lot to the reconstruction of Afghanistan. But at the same time, in the broader equation in the, in the, in the region, we have to create that balance. Uh, uh, we had uh, a series of discussion with the regional countries, including with the US and others, that uh, we should have a kind of a platform of the regional uh, support group like six plus three or six plus four. I think that is that is taking shape in India is uh, one of the countries that will be uh, one part of uh, of that discussion. And I, I think Afghanistan and every other uh, regional countries they are recognizing and uh, Minister Atmar is uh, working very hardly on this as a Minister of Foreign Affairs uh, to materialize uh, at fair engagement and uh, and uh, engagement with uh, all the countries in the region, and particularly our immediate neighbors. Would anyone else like to comment? Yeah, I'll I'll just say that I mean this is a the, a perennial issue for Afghanistan going back centuries because of the great game and as Minister Stanix I said a famous six plus two process from decades ago. And the reality is that Afghanistan has the capacity to make peace um, with the support of his neighbors. If its neighbors are not supporting peace, then probably the best and most honest efforts of the Afghan participants are not enough to overcome regional intervention. And so there really has to be a mutual understanding and trust among the key actors external to Afghanistan that they, like, like the internal parties, that they actually want to see peace more than they think that they get some advantage, some greater advantage from their not being peace. And India's interests, of course, are deeply tied up with their relationship with Pakistan. And while I think it's far too dangerous and, and preposterous to suggest that India-Pakistan peace is necessary for Afghanistan, there does need to be an element of mutual understanding between India and Pakistan that, that Afghanistan as a stable country ruled by Afghans uh, is in both of their interests. Uh, thank you. I, I think I think that does point up something that's uh, going to be needed in the in the peace process at some point as some kind of uh, way to address through some forum uh, the regional dimension of this conflict, which, as all of us know, is 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 hiding behind the scenes in many ways. Um, okay. So uh, next question: uh, the 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 U.S. is now committed to a partial withdrawal. Uh, of, of forces and eventually to uh, a full withdrawal uh, of its forces. Uh, does this constitute a loss of leverage for the Afghan government in terms of its or the Republic for its negotiations um, with uh, the Taliban? And related to that, what is the assessment uh, from the Afghan side of the military situation? So perhaps I would ask Minister Stanikzai to lead off on, on that, if you're willing to take on that question, yeah. sir. Uh, I think there is, uh, we should not look to the, the drawdown of the forces or the timeline that is, um, that is for the withdrawal of the US forces. 
uh, I think everybody of us, we were knowing and we were uh, hoping that at some point that the U.S. forces will be leaving Afghanistan and Afghanistan should stand on its own feet. And I think this is why we have to negotiate and reach to some kind of understanding and, uh, and agree on the peace so that there is uh, the need for staying more foreign forces in Afghanistan that will be diminished. Uh, so that is clear. But for us, the most important leverage is the legitimacy of the political system, the support of the Afghan people, the legitimacy of the recognition of the international community of our political system. And at the same time, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is something uh, that we have to recognize that, uh, that uh, uh, if there is, we're building more consensus, if the people of Afghanistan realize that we are at a stage that we can, we can there is no interference from outside of Afghanistan. If there is enough effort so that the inter, uh, outside intervention is limited or it is reduced to a minimum level, and I think that will provide us with enough leverage that we we go to the to the negotiating table because there is there is positive and negative side of it. One of the issues that always Afghanistan government was accused that this government has no authority, this government is too dependent, this government has uh, all the, the different kind of uh, the, 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 the perception. Uh, so the, the Afghan government has early started the, the discussion with the US government regarding the, the, the reduction of the US forces in Afghanistan in the way that the Afghan security forces should be supported. And I think this is the true, the true side of it. Do we forget about the threat of the tourism? Or we still have something in our mind that those global threats or those threats like pandemic, like corona, or like the, 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 the threat of the tourism, it cannot be addressed by one country. It is a collective, uh, it should be addressed collectively. And every country has a role. It is not only Afghanistan to, to sacrifice and be in the front line. So, I mean, if we want a collective security, we have to carefully architecture on conditional basis and on the basis of the progress that we are making in the peace process and also looking to the timeline, looking to, to all the different aspects of the, the difficulties in the new, the new situation that is emerging in globally, both economically or militarily or politically, I think we, we, we recognize that. And this is why, again, I'm calling on, 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 on Taliban that we have to realize that eventually Afghanistan has to be ruled by Afghans, supported by Afghans. And at the same time, we have to address the problem of our own country. If you want to do that, if you want, for instance, they say that we are fighting for freedom. We want to fight for this. The freedom will come when we are together, when we are united, when we are ending this, this, this violence. And I think if we are getting to a understanding, I think we don't need any kind of a leverage. We want to have the leverage of Afghan to Afghan in this case and get to some kind of a the understanding and in, in, in to save the country, save the people, save the lives. Thank you. Uh, another question from the audience, unless unless someone wants to add on to Minister Senegai's, but uh, another question from the audience uh, for Minister Sarabi. Um, for 
Afghan women, what is non-negotiable? What are the red lines of Afghan women in the upcoming intra-Afghan negotiations? Uh, during negotiation, one thing uh, which is very important and non-negotiable non for Afghan women is the republic. Uh, I, uh, I raised the issue that what is the advantage of a republic for Afghan women? Because uh, on the republic, we, we will be a citizen. We have the equal right like other citizens of uh, Afghan, uh, uh, like uh, Afghan society, like uh, the other citizen. Uh, we have the right of education. We will have the right of, uh, of uh, political right, economic, uh, economic right, uh, social right, and uh, cultural rights. Of course, the basic rights of, of citizenship, this is something that we can, uh, we can be recognized as an uh, equal citizen on the Republic side. This is something that we want to have it. Okay, thank you. Um, we, are, we do have some questions piling up. Uh, we've got, uh, I think, about three more minutes, but maybe if the panelists are uh, kind enough, we might run over a few minutes to accommodate the, uh, the extra questions. Um, there is a question, several questions, actually, about uh, security sector reform. That is to say, the question in part of uh, integrating uh, the possible integration of the Taliban into the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces, um, and whether whether that will be an objective of uh, the negotiations. What are the considerations that uh, that would go into such a such a discussion? Would any of the panelists like to attempt to address that one? Alex, I think Minister Stanix, I was trying to speak. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Sir, Minister, please. Yeah, uh, on the security sector reform, I think <clears throat> already there are uh, some reform taking place uh, in the security sector. And at the same time, uh, uh, the, the whole issue of reintegration and, and uh, integration, both uh, in terms of the, their military personnel and others, that will be part and parcel of the discussion that we have to agree with the Taliban and how and where that should that should happen. But one thing that we have to keep the Afghan security sector out of the politics and, and they should be serving the interests of the Afghan people and they should serve everybody equally. But at the same time, that is that is something that we have uh, to move to the reform in a in a in a step-by-step -step basis. Uh, there are areas where uh, where uh, the, the, the Taliban fighters would, uh, uh, if it is agreed that they can be incorporated, for instance, in border forces or somewhere in other areas where they can they can be based to provide uh, to, to to provide that kind of a protection services. But at the same time, that is uh, that is depending on on the discussion that we should have with the Taliban and agree with a uh, with a plan, and that plan should. Uh, should strengthen the Afghan security forces. That should not make them. Uh, that should not make uh, the Afghan uh, forces uh, politicized. And uh, we should have a security forces. They have the trust of all Afghan. In the Afghan, whether it is Taliban or other Afghans, they should feel secure 
and win these uh, uh, with these security forces of Afghanistan because they will equally serve all Afghans. Add to that, uh, if I can add to that, can you hear me now? Yes, you're, yeah. you're, you're fine. Go yeah, ahead. Uh, the uh, combining an earlier question with that one, I mean, I think that the, the US and the NATO forces really need to make three commitments at this time that are going to be critical for the peace process. The first is to leave, right? If that's a, a key element, and this is what Minister Stanikzai has been talking about, they need to be prepared to leave the country if that's what the parties agree on and the peace process go forward. At the same time, they have to be committed not to leave. And that means that if the peace process is not moving forward, um, they can't hasten their departure and undermine the security of the country uh, in that process. And the third, which relates to this question of the security forces, is that they have to commit to continuing to support Afghanistan in, in both security and economic terms. Uh, the good news that will come out of the peace process is that Afghanistan cannot afford its security forces, um, and they're going to have to become smaller. So rather than bringing everybody into them, hopefully people will be decommissioned and there won't be fighting. Because what we really need Afghanistan's young men and women to turn to is to growing Afghanistan's economy. And that commitment needs to be not only to allowing a gradual transition of the security forces to peacetime, but a real deep economic commitment that makes people coming off the battlefield, makes people who don't have hope for the future see that the international community is with them and that the real opportunities don't lie in being in a militia or in a police force or in some other guerrilla army that pops up, but instead is in the future that they have uh, economically as contributors to Afghanistan's economy and society. Okay, I think what I'm gonna do now is wrap together a couple um, important questions we've gotten from media representatives. Um, and I think they're, they're uh, good, good questions to sort of end the session on a series of, of uh, questions. And I'm gonna to turn to each of the panelists for um, their assessments and maybe any concluding remarks I would like to make. The question essentially is, you know, how likely uh, a prospect is it that that negotiations with the Taliban will begin? There was a perception that the uh, negotiations were stuck uh, over the prisoner issue. There has been some movement on the prisoner issue. So um, are the negotiations unstuck? And of course, as we discussed the outset, there's the question of COVID-19 and how that how that pays uh, plays into it. Um, so first, First part of the question is, uh, you know, for all of you, do you think the likelihood of, of uh, serious intra-Afghan negotiations beginning um, is near? And then the, the second part of the question is, um, and this is sort of the, the conclusion bit, um, if these negotiations do begin, are you optimistic uh, or pessimistic about the ability of the Republic uh, to conclude an agreement with uh, the Taliban. So why don't I why don't I stop there and I'll turn uh, first I think to uh, to Minister Stanikzai for his thoughts. Thank you very much. A very difficult question, but the very right question. <laughs> and um, uh, I think uh, 
the first comment I will make is that uh, we should not make precondition for everything to start or to conclude because that has caused us so much of lives in Afghanistan. Every time we make the precondition that this is done, then we will do that. If that is not done, then we will not do it. I think the issue of the prisoner is moving on. That will that will that will be implemented. Uh, as you know, that uh, it is a large, uh, a, a big issue, and I I think this is why I insisted that if Afghan government and the U.S. and Taliban had a tripartite together the discussion, that that process could have been much more accelerated. And now I'm again stressing, as soon as these intra-Afghan negotiations starts, that process will be accelerated much more in a rapid way because that will be a, a, the mechanism, the way that has to happen, the logistic and everything else can be discussed face-to-face uh, -face and, and, and that will be addressed very quickly. Uh, on the other hand, when uh, whether the likelihood of the, that uh, we are optimistic or pessimistic, I think we are going with a goodwill, the goodwill that Afghanistan needs peace, Afghanistan want to not only Afghanistan, but every person in Afghanistan and also the world in the region want Afghanistan to end this war. If we want to end this war, then I think this is not an option, but this is something that we must have to do it. Whether today or tomorrow, we must do it. And for that reason, I, I urge the Taliban that they have to put those, uh, those kind of uh, symbolic excuses, condition, precondition, we have to sit face to face what we can do, what they can do, what the international community can do to end this war. And I think uh, I'm optimistic, uh, relatively optimistic, but uh, you don't know uh, what will happen the next day. Uh, there are so many spoilers. There are so many events happening around us. Uh, but uh, I, I believe that the people of Afghanistan and everybody uh, will respect the inspiration of the Afghan people. They want the peace and we have to move to that. Uh, I think the Afghan people are prepared uh, to take their feet in their hand, but at the same time, there are responsibility for the international community that they should not rush us into a peace that to end to another cycle of violence. We have to go step by step to a peace that is sustainable, that is a peace that will benefit every Afghan, the whole region, in the international community. We don't want to lose the investment that has been made both in, 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 in the treasure and also in the, in the blood. And uh, I think we have to preserve those building blocks that we can build more blocks on that and uh, make Afghanistan a stable country. And at the same time, uh, your troops, your, uh, your soldiers, they can return back home with pride in the Taliban return home as, as also everybody can have a win-win situation. If we go to the loss-loss situation, I think it will not benefit the people. And I think we are reaching to a point where there is a whole political will to, to get to that point. But once again, I'm also stressing the position of the Afghan government should not be weakened. That will not benefit Afghans, that will not benefit the international community, that will not benefit even the Taliban, because we don't want to go to the chaos that we once experienced, not once, but four times we experienced those chaos. Thank you, Minister. Minister Sarabi? I want to emphasize that uh, for the, how to start the negotiation, 
Uh, of course, uh, precondition is something that we shouldn't talk about the precondition. We, have, we don't have any other choice uh, uh, for fighting. Uh, NF is NF. It's, it's something that the people of Afghanistan from both sides, they are tired of war from the bloodshed from uh, 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 because we have thousands of, of widows, we have thousands of uh, orphans. So I think that's that's enough. That's enough. We have to go to sit together and at the, the same table to talk about the, the issue that we, we have it. About this uh, republic, uh, I'm optimistic about that because why I am optimistic? Because this is the century of uh, 21st century. It's not 19th. So we are talking from Kabul and Washington and maybe some other will join us from some other country uh, uh, through uh, and this uh, virtual. So it is the mass media is playing a big role. And the, my, my friend from media, he, he or she asked about the, this question. I think uh, media can play a big role on that. It's not 90s that we were, uh, I myself, I was going from one country to other country, not, of course, I couldn't get to US, but in uh, Europe to uh, uh, talk about the, the problem uh, women, Afghan women had inside Afghanistan. But today is not the same. We can talk just by one tweet or the, through the Facebook and tweet, we can raise our voice. We can connect each other. So that's why it's, I'm very um, optimistic about that. And uh, because it is the wish and the desire of the people. The people uh, uh, don't want to go back on, on the uh, uh, 90s. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. Alex, you get the last word. Thanks. Well, I'm 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 very torn between the the deep understanding and knowledge that all wars must end, and it is clearly time for this one to end, um, and the profound obstacles that stand in the way of getting to a sustainable peace are also very real. Uh, when I first started researching peace in Afghanistan. In 1991, uh, one of the things that was happening where people were looking at how to use things like vaccination campaigns and humanitarian campaigns to get warring parties to talk to each other uh, and to figure out how to find more in common uh, about their future than, than they have dividing them. And we face a moment like that today. Uh, the ground is rapidly changing under everybody's feet. Uh, this pandemic will change geopolitics, it will change Afghanistan. Um, and what I think we need to do, which is I think what the great leaders who have been talking today here, who will be leading these negotiations are really saying is that we have to seize this moment. Um, there are opportunities and challenges and we have to find the path to seize this moment to make sure that all of the parties really see that they have a future in Afghanistan um, that this is not defeat. Peace does not mean defeat. Peace can mean victory for everybody um, and that it will not be easy, but that it is necessary um, and that Afghanistan really cannot bear another era of regime change, another spasm of violence. And I don't think the world can either. 
we're not there by accident. Uh, we haven't been there by accident for the last 20 years. And we need to make sure collectively that the best interests of the Afghan people and that the world are aligned for the first time in a long, long time. And so that'll be hard, but I do think it's possible. Thank you, Alex. And thank you to all of the panelists for um, a rich discussion. And I think one that was characterized by uh, a great deal of passionate commitment uh, by all of you. So thank you for, um, for your contributions to Af Afghanistan. Uh, let me also thank the audience uh, for tuning in uh, today. Um, and uh, let me particularly thank the uh, Afghan panelists who gave up their evening uh, uh, in addition to uh, uh, joining us today. Um, and finally, I would like to wish uh, all those who celebrate Ramadan a Ramadan Mubarak. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Mubarak. And I will also assure uh, 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 Sorabi said that the 25% of women will be there and, uh, and uh, there is discussion ongoing and they are the most powerful women. And every time when they are talking, they are the most talking and contributing during our internal debates. So I think they are very powerful. I, I, agree, I agree with you, Minister. I think they may be small in numbers, but powerful in impact. Yeah. We have a good supporter. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usrp.org backslash podcast. Thank you for listening to this event.